October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, which is a campaign aimed at raising public awareness about the prevalence and devastating impact of domestic violence. With this in mind, we thought there would be no better guest for today's episode than Maisha Coulter, CEO of AVDA, which stands for Aid to Victims of Domestic Abuse. Maisha has spent 16 years in various positions at AVDA and now leads the organization as their CEO. She holds bachelor's degrees in social work and public policy, a master's in social work, and a law degree, which all are used to inform her life's work for victims of domestic abuse. Today, we're also very excited to welcome a guest host, Crime Stoppers of Houston Deputy Director Nicole Kristoff. Nicole has been with Crime Stoppers since 2012 and supervises and coordinates the Crime Stoppers of Houston Reward Program, ensuring each tipster's anonymity remains intact and oversees the day-to-day operations of the entire organization. Nicole is a proud advocate for victims, and we're so grateful to have her as our guest host for this episode. This is the Balanced Voice Podcast. Hi, I'm Nicole. I'm very honored to be here today filling in for Runya and Jen, especially with you because ABDA and domestic violence is a very big um, touch point to my heart. Um, I think everybody knows someone that's been a victim or they themselves have been a victim. And so it's just one of those crime types that it comes with a lot, a lot of baggage. So tell us a little bit about AVDA and what you do there. Sure. So my name is Maisha Coulter. I'm the CEO of AVDA, and I have been with this organization um, a total of 16 years. Um, I have served in many roles, staff attorney, managing attorney, Um, and currently the CEO. And what ABDA is, is a nonprofit that serves survivors of domestic abuse by providing them with free legal representation in family court. We prepare them for the opportunity to get a protective order, Mm -hmm. divorce, custody, child support, Sometimes when there has been a fatality, um, as a result of domestic abuse, we do adoptions. We also have the state's largest BIP program, and BIP stands for Battering Intervention Prevention Program. And it is an opportunity for people who have been harm doers in the relationship Mm -hmm. to get psychoeducation um, through a group um, format. So they're with a um, licensed clinician, so it could be a um, psychologist, social worker, um, LPC, um, two hours per week um, at our program, and they're there for a minimum of 18 weeks. Wow. We also have a pretty robust um, prevention program. It's a small group of people, but they are um, in schools, the HISD, Fort Bend ISD, um, but they also do um, private and charter schools as well. And they provide evidence-based curriculums to um, students in regard to health relationships, accountability, Mm -hmm. and things like that. And we also provide the same sort of education to adult populations, whether that Mm -hmm. be first responders or anyone in the community who's interested in learning more about domestic abuse and Mm -hmm. how it impacts all of us in some way, shape, or form. Um, So they do a lot of that. Within the organization's portfolio, we have trauma counselors who work with survivors um, with their children Mm -hmm. and help them through their trauma and um, give them some emotional um, 
support, intelligence, so that they can move forward in a healthy way. Right. Mm-hmm. You you hit on several things that I'm just immediately, my brain is firing off all these mm-hmm. questions, but I really love the aspect of working with the abuser mm-hmm. to try to fix that. Sure. Because regardless of whether he or she mm-hmm. ends back up with the partner that they abused, mm-hmm. unless they themselves get some sort of help, they're likely to repeat the same behavior. Yeah, that that behavior is mirrored in all of their intimate relationships, whether, um, and and the whole point is the intervention is an opportunity for them to be retooled uh, and to think about these um, choices that they make within that relationship. And not a lot of um, domestic violence resources are pointed in the direction of the harm doer. Um, which I think is um, um, an unfortunate way of looking at the problem because, as you say, they will be in relationships, whether it be that person that um, got them involved in BIP or some other. And um, if that is how they choose to function, in their relationships that will remain and the problem will continue. It just keeps Absolutely. rolling. Mm-hmm. And and it is, it's a shame because I don't think anyone goes into a relationship thinking, I really want to be an abusive partner. Of course not. Right. And, and generally speaking, mm-hmm. um, from what we see in Crime Stoppers and personal experience mm-hmm. is Abuse is a learned behavior sometimes, Mm -hmm. and you come out of a situation thinking, I'm never going to be that person. Mm -hmm. Unless you work through it, you're very likely to become that person. So kudos on that. That's just amazing work. Tell me about your pillars. Mm -hmm. You guys have three particular pillars? Sure. So what we're trying to do is um, empower survivors Mm -hmm. um, and hold abusers accountable Mm -hmm. and educate as many people as we can about domestic violence and how it impacts everyone. And that's, that's so key. The education Mm -hmm. part Mm -hmm. is, is humongous. You think back 10, 15 years ago and even further back, it's a domestic situation. Right. Private. And no nobody should, talks yes, about it. Absolutely. Yeah, quiet. You know, mm-hmm. Law enforcement yeah. wouldn't get involved yeah. sometimes yeah. Um, because they're more more likely to be killed or injured in the line of yeah. duty when responding to absolutely. a domestic violence absolutely. case. And that's so scary. Um, what uh, what can individuals do to empower um a victim that's currently in a situation like if I know somebody, what can I do? So the one thing that you can do is believe someone, especially if they have the capacity to tell you Mm -hmm. um, or disclose that they are experiencing domestic abuse. Um, As I said before, domestic violence used to be, and to some degree is still a secret for many people. It festers when there's um, sort of shame and secrecy around it. Um, but believing the survivor and then being educated about the resources that are available. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. A lot of people don't realize what resources there are. A lot of times people will think shelter, like go mm-hmm. to a shelter. And certainly that is a resource and it can be needed and necessary. But there are a lot of people who their housing situation is not the determinant of why right. they remain in the relationship. And so sometimes it might be economics. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it might be wanting to have another parent for their children. Um, It could be religion. It could be so many other Mm -hmm. factors. And so when you do encounter someone who's experiencing domestic violence, 
being able to just listen to them and be knowledgeable about resources that are there and directing them to those, then that will be helpful and staying with them. One of the things that I think is critical is that we don't let the abuser win by that isolation right? and right. keeping people away from their resources. And so if you have been a resource or an ally for someone, stick with them. Mm-hmm. Don't be frustrated if they return to the re- right. relationship um, and just know that that's a part of the pattern. That's but that if they know that they can call on you and come back and say, okay, now this time I'm really serious. That's critical to right. have that that support, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know they they get isolated by so many different factors. The abuser isolates them. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, family members mm-hmm. isolate themselves mm-hmm. because they don't know what to say or sure. do. Yeah, yeah. And and having somebody that's always going to be like, I may not be happy that you went back to him. Mm-hmm. If anything changes. I'm still here. Exactly. That's gigantic. Exactly. And I love the aspect also that you guys offer the legal services mm-hmm. because how many people mm-hmm. don't, like, I can't divorce this person. Exactly. Our I don't lives have the resources. Ex- I can't pay an attorney. I, what am, yeah. I'm going to lose my kids. Go, my house. Yes. They have the me convinced sure. that I can't survive without exactly. them. The exactly. kids are going to get taken away. Mm-hmm. All of these things that the abuser does, you know, that that just further drives this into a bigger hole for the victim and for the abuser. So that's, that's really tough. One of the things um, you talked about keeping the perpetrator accountable and it's, it's hard because, you know, there's all these legal ramifications. You have to be able to prove a case. You sure. have to have a, a witness that's willing to testify. And if the victim's afraid to testify. Right. Makes it harder. One of the things that I see a lot, mm-hmm. because we we have solved between 2007 mm-hmm. and year to date, mm-hmm. um, 2023, over a thousand domestic violence related mm-hmm. cases. Sure. That's everything from just... Uh, domestic violence, assault, mm-hmm. impeding breathing, sure. violation of protective orders, murders. Mm-hmm. We've had mm-hmm. murders, um, animal cruelty cases sure. that were combined. Yep. Um, last month, we had actually a case. The abuser killed a dog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A week later, he assaulted the victim's friend uh-huh. who mm-hmm. was trying to help her, and mm-hmm. she was pregnant, Yeah, and also um, impeded the breathing mm-hmm. of the victim herself. So three biggies that are always a big yeah. a big thing. Yep. But what we also see in our area is sometimes they're filed as misdemeanors and sometimes they're filed as felonies. And I find myself just shocked because so many domestic violence cases end in some form of a fatality. <laughs> and I just don't, myself, Mm -hmm. I'm not a legal professional, so I'm like, how in the world Mm -hmm. can it be filed as a misdemeanor? So one of the things that happens is an assessment, um, usually by your district attorney's office, Mm -hmm. and they're trying to determine whether or not they'll be able to prove the case. And so when you're filing and reporting, that police officer, whoever's answered that call, um, will have to present some evidence. What's the probable cause? What are the factors? And of course, with each level of the penal code, there's a description about what is that crime. And then 
not only defining the crime, but being able to practically go into court with sufficient evidence to meet those prongs of right. that crime. Right. And so sometimes, yes, things get reduced down to a misdemeanor by virtue of the facts and the evidence to support the charge. Right. Not necessarily that this is what all happened. Exactly. This is all that we can demonstrate. That we can If we, we go in front like of a jury can... or yeah, a judge and, and, and put a presentation of evidence on. Exactly. And unfortunately, things get minimized. The right. other thing is when you are responding to domestic violence uh, situation, the trauma in and of itself impacts a person's capacity to report and retell information. Right. Um, strangulation is a huge issue. Um, and it's actually one of the elements that increases the likelihood of a fatality. Right. But it impacts the brain. So mm -hmm. when people are being strangled, they are actually being brain damaged. Right. And that impacts lots of things, including memory, ability to tell a story, recall information, and that will unfortunately sometimes impact the probable cause factors and right. the factors associated with the crime elements that the person who's going to be on the end of that that um, charge, right. which is the prosecutor, um, and so it does make it difficult. It's very frustrating, right. um, especially for advocates and people like us who are vying for some type of response from the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. And of course, the highest level is the best level because the harder the consequences, exactly. um, the more likely we won't get to a fatality, especially right. when it's before a fatality, right? right. Um, so yeah, it's it's um it's just an unfortunate aspect of this particular crime. Right, it mm -hmm. is. I we were looking at some stats that we we pulled from the Harris County District Clerk's site. Sure, and mm -hmm. I know you guys have stats too. Mm -hmm. But um, right now for 2023, we are on pace mm -hmm. to outnumber the Harris County cases. Mm -hmm. um, last year, in 2022, there was an average of 1,600 domestic violence-related cases. Mm -hmm. This year, we're averaging 2,100. Sure. What are you guys seeing? Same thing. Um, the crime and the fact that we're seeing more people come in the door for services means that it is increasing and not decreasing. Right. Um, and the good thing about it is that more people are coming into the door because they know about the resources. But yeah. the bad thing is that it's just happening too frequently. Exactly. Yeah. Did you guys see a big shift, obviously, during the pandemic because the isolation was sure. compounded? Sure. We were very concerned about the nature of COVID and how we had to respond from a just a practical standpoint, being isolated, staying at home, not going to school, not going to work. Those are places where people can get accountability, can get right. to someone who's going to help them. Um, and so when that went away, then obviously the the possibility of more activity was mm -hmm. higher. You know, you had the economic factors, oh, gotcha. people were losing jobs and things like that. All of those stressors are the types of things that exacerbate right. um, and make it a more practical, a more typical response from a, an abuser right. when those things are happening. So yes, the numbers went up, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. wow. And then we saw lifetime protective orders. We actually had more lifetime protective orders in one year in 2020 than we had in like two years combined in terms of the number of them. And wow. how you get a lifetime protective order is usually because there's um, a multi like a, a person who's had more than one protective order issued okay. against them. The other thing is the physical um, assault. Okay. So if the person suffered um, an injury, 
like you know a broken nose or broken bones and things like that, then that's that can increase the likelihood okay. of a, a, a lifetime protective order. And we had those types of things happen. Wow. So the more substantial physical assault than we had seen prior to COVID. Um, mm. The other thing that we we had to deal with is we were already on the heels of you know, Harvey and there being like a backlog. And then we had COVID happen. And so it was just like... A perfect storm. I mean, yeah, it it really was in terms of just the number of people that were Mm -hmm. sort of like everywhere and anywhere trying to get help with everything to include the civil side, but also prosecutions and trying to figure out what's the status on this case and whether or not it's going to go anywhere or when is there going to be a real consequence. Right. Um, And so it was just tough. It was a very tough time. What is the average? Because you said lifetime protective Mm -hmm. order. What is the average protective order? Sure. Typically, it's a two years. Okay. Yeah. So two year period from the time that the person um, gets it granted, it will last for two years. We do have instances where we go um, for a longer period of time, mm-hmm. maybe five years, um, that that could mirror, you know, there's an infant. And before that infant, you know, turns into a you know, five-year-old or starts school, right. we want there to be some real protections between the exchange of the child and the, uh, you know, the parent who's the um, applicant on a protective order and the responding parent. Right. And so there's a lot of parameters that go into those types of um, protective orders. And so, yeah, we might ask for very specific time frame, but typically it is going to be two years. Thank you to our sponsor, Fliplock, for making this episode possible. Fliplock is a door lock unlike any other lock that was created as a nationwide, straightforward solution to protect your people, whether that be in universities, dorms, daycares, hospitals, or even government buildings. It can be added to nearly any door to keep you and yours safe. We are proud to have such a strong and like-minded sponsor of the Balanced Voice podcast. Check out Flipblock at flipblock.com. That's F-L-I-P-L-O-K.com. A lot of people think of domestic violence mainly in the physical abuse <laughs> side of things, sure. but really... It's, it's much so, more. so much more. Can Absolutely. you tell us a few sure. examples of other types sure. of domestic violence? So, domestic violence includes economic abuse. Mm-hmm. It includes emotional abuse, which is name calling or gaslighting, doing things that really does mess with the mental health of right. the other person. Um, certainly, there is domestic violence around some, someone's status. So immigration um, is a big, humongous one where yes. people really manipulate um, the person's need for, you know, sort of making sure that they're okay with that right. versus um, making an outcry. So if right. you tell someone you're going to get deported, right. this is going to happen to you. Um, and And to be clear... There are actually protections in place for people who are in that particular situation. In fact, federal government has laws under VAWA that protect immigrants if they are being abused, um, especially if they're being abused by a a citizen. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have the ability to get protective orders for like human trafficking. We have the ability to get protective orders for people who are um, undocumented Mm -hmm. and that they may have a right to receive um, legal help in regard to their status 
because of that crime that's being perpetrated against them. And but that's education. Yeah, yeah. That, letting people know that that actually is there. But yeah, if you don't know, um, if you come from a culture or a country where um, there are not interventions, the government right. is not on the side of people, um, then you will believe that if you tell, it's going to be you who's going to lose and right. suffer not and me. not the perpetrator. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, we hear all the time that when an abused, uh, when a victim leaves is mm -hmm. often the most dangerous time. Absolutely true. And um, everything that we talk about is having a safety plan. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the importance of a safety plan and What's involved in that? Sure. So safety plans should be individualized for the particular person. What I like to say to clients um, about safety planning is we want to ensure that not only that you leave, but that you leave and remain safe throughout the leaving mm -hmm. process. And leaving isn't just the day you leave that house. Right. Um, it is months after. I will tell you this statistic, and it holds true for at least the last two years. Every single person that, that we classified as an intimate partner violence homicide in Texas mm -hmm. had research done on the circumstances surrounding the status between them and their abuser. 57% of all who lost their lives year over year had left. They had been mm -hmm. away from that abuser for a minimum of three months and up to six months, and they still were killed. So that's the that's the thing that people need to be clear about. Right. Leaving, we're not just talking about that next day. It doesn't end. Right. Leaving and being away from that per person for a sustained period of time is what we're talking about when we talk about um, the, the, the separation. Mm -hmm. And then safety planning is taking into account everything that we know about you and that person. Mm -hmm. Do they know where your relatives live? Do they know your best friend's address? Because those may not be safe places for right. you to go. And so we think about that and we make a plan so that we don't give them the ability to come mm -hmm. back and make contact with you right. or your loved ones and harm you and them. That's the other thing that we need to think about. Right. The collateral deaths, there were multiple people who lost their lives as a result of being near or involved with that other person when they were leaving those relationships. There was just a case a few weeks ago. Sure. Where that was exactly the exactly. case. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's another I think I think a fear factor for mm -hmm. a victim leaving because yes, they want to protect their family. Threaten, yes. You know, I'll kill everybody. Yes. Yes. If you leave. Yep. So it's not just you, it's the kids, it's your mom, it's your dad, Absolutely. it's your best friend. Absolutely. And, yeah. And then when you see it actually happen, proven, yes. then it makes it more scary to, exactly. to make that decision. Yeah. But we're talking about let's maybe put someone in a hotel temporarily. Right. Or change locks. Or we may um, give them some other resources so that. Not only are they, you know, in an undisclosed location for a temporary period of time, they have their basic needs let, um, met, mm -hmm. you know, they make a plan to work remotely instead of working in person. Now that we have experienced that, we know we can do those things. But right. that is what we mean when we talk about safety planning. Yeah. Um, what papers to have on hand, oh. what papers to make copies of and leave somewhere else. Um, I have, you know, clients, I tell them, make a copy, leave one at work, give one right. to your best friend. Mm -hmm these documents or making copies and making 
um, documentation of things before you leave. Like, exactly. here's what I would want if I could have some right. really good things as a divorce attorney right. in my hand for evidence, That's right? A good point. And so I talk to them about, do you know, you know, what the accounts are on the mortgage? Do you know where the title paperwork is um, before we ever leave? Right. Right. So let's think about all this stuff from a strategic plan, so that when we do, when you do leave, not only do you leave with resources, but you leave with the ability to stay gone. Exactly. And so knowing those things will help me when I get to court and I ask right. for temporary use of the property or that this person pay the mortgage so that you don't have to worry about that bill and right. you can just attend to the needs of the kiddos. But that's the kind of thing that we consider safety planning mm -hmm. in our role as an advocate working with our clients. And that's also the... it. You just said so many things that really makes the purpose and the need mm -hmm. for advocates so important. Because yeah. while I think I might know mm -hmm. a lot of things, mm -hmm. having an advocate that knows, okay, when this really goes down, mm -hmm. we're going to need all mm -hmm. of these things. So mm -hmm. I can go in with a good heart, yes, trying really right. hard, right? but having a partner... Sure. Like that, professional skills exactly. and knowledge and sort of real world experience that helps to bolster mm -hmm. that person's situation and circumstances in a way that guarantees a little bit more safety and self-sufficiency ultimately. Right. And all of those things are factors that help to keep them ha from having to return. There's been some commercials on TV that's talking about people with cancer and, mm -hmm. and what happens to them at work. And mm. so it's like promoting the employer to support uh -huh. that mm -hmm. cancer patient. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. you, what you said reminded me, we need to do the same thing for Absolutely. abuse victims. Mm -hmm. That we need to be able to, as an employer, mm -hmm. if I suspect... Mm -hmm or they somebody comes to me and, and says, says then i need to be ready and prepared and mm -hmm. willing to do what i need to do mm -hmm. to help them yeah. further that yeah. that's such a good point yeah telling an employer that you're experiencing domestic violence can be a real resource mm -hmm. one is sometimes if let's say your abuser is going to your place of employment as the owner of a place, you can file um, the necessary reports to get a no trespass right. um, for your employee. Um, certainly, like I said, you can accommodate a change in mm -hmm. location sometimes. You know, maybe you transfer to this store and work out of this place until you get, right. you know, moving on your divorce or whatever it is. But yeah, there's a lot of pluses to having mm -hmm. um, a little bit transparency right. in those particular as areas. As hard as it is it, to tell. It's tough, yeah, but it's, but it's needed sometimes. My money is that employer probably already suspects. Oh, sure. sure. And I've heard of cases where um, a co-worker kept a diary mm -hmm. in her planner mm -hmm. um so-and-so came to work with a black mm -hmm. eye. She looked like she had bruises on her neck. Exactly. Or they overheard a conversation between yep. the person and their harm doer and were like, ooh. You know, and that concerns was, me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And those, yeah. those, that's another thing that an individual can do to further Absolutely. support as well. It's, it's you hate that you think you have to do something mm -hmm. like that, mm -hmm. but that could be the determining factor mm -hmm. of a charge being increased exactly a successful prosecution exactly so yeah yep. that's what a good i mean just good conversation thank you so much Absolutely. I, it's um it's a shame we have to have these yeah. 
but thank God mm-hmm. um, that we have groups like AVDA that provide so many resources that are so desperately needed. Yeah. So we have a, um, a communication going on between us and the sheriff okay. um, to implement BIP in the um, Harris County Jail. Yeah. Ooh, that's gigantic. It's huge. That's gigantic. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. Yeah, we don't have the, it's going to start on this day, and this is the group that, yeah, and we don't definitely have. Um, but it's in progress, and that's the key. It's progress. Mm-hmm. We're making progress. We're not perfect yet, mm-hmm. but we're making Moving, progress. Yeah, right and direction. that's what a great place to get get the abuser where they're mm-hmm. at, meet them where yeah, they are at exactly. and give them the services that they need. Yep. Cause it's, it's real easy to lock people up and exactly something. Exactly. It's a but lot they're not going to be locked up typically for the rest of their lives, no. unless they've got some kind of capital murder, you know what right. I mean? They're coming out but and they're going to be in another relationship mm-hmm. and they're going to potentially be in the same position as they were previously okay. making those choices or not making those choices. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing work. Amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. I know you guys had your gala yes, we a few did. weeks ago. Yes, yes. So we had ours too. And uh-huh. I know I know what a stressful time that is. Yes. So we appreciate you coming in. And we are wrapping up the end of Domestic Violence yes. Month. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week on the Balanced Voice Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to today's Balanced Conversation. You can find real solutions and tangible resources in our show notes at thebalancevoicepodcast.com. To join the conversation, follow us on Instagram at thebalancevoicepodcast and on Twitter at balancevoice underscore. Stay up to date on Runya's work by following her at the Runya Report. And we can't wait to see you next week for another Balanced Conversation.